Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and it exists to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective in reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com for articles, videos, and tools to help you and your church be more outward in your ministry. Now on with today's episode. Brad Herzog here for Outward OPC. Today I have two pastors with me. I have Phil Proctor, who is the pastor of Sterling Presbyterian Church, an OPC church in Sterling, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. And I also have John Paul Holloway. John Paul is the church planter of Acacia Reform Church in Manassas, Virginia, which is a church plant from Sterling. So um, you both may have thoughts on this, but I'm going to I'm going to start with you, Phil, as the sending church and the sending pastor and sending session. Um, I might not be the best read of the trends in the OPC anymore and kind of church planting, but my my sense is that five ten years ago there were a lot more uh, presbytery church plants. That in more recent days there's maybe a little bit more not emphasis, but a little bit more mother daughter church plants coming up in the different presbyteries. What was it like for you guys? Did you send elder deacons or are they borrowed and, and kind of serving both? What was that dynamic like? Cause obviously you'd been thinking about this for a while. John Paul said about 40 people in the core group. How did that impact Sterling sending 40 people? So did, did you send leadership or how does the leadership dynamic work from the sending church in a mother daughter? And how did it also affect just sending out the, the masses, you know, and on a certain Sunday seeing 40 less people there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we did our, our initial plan was to send John Paul with a very seasoned ruling elder, a, a really great man. Uh, the week that John Paul came up to candidate, uh, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so John Paul's first year up to launch was simultaneous with his struggles and and eventual going into glory. Uh, But certainly that was the plan, was we were going to send him with a seasoned ruling elder, and we sent him out with two deacons. Um, And that means, you know, we also sent him with all of our pianists. Uh, And that means that we had to really encourage folks at Sterling to be stepping up. Uh, and and so it's Sterling had to reinvent herself uh, just as much as Acacia has to discover who she is because we've sent some of the most kingdom-focused people or you know people that are already engaged in, in, worship, in, in service to the church. Uh, so it gives others an opportunity to step up. Phil, um... I think we'd all, you know, quickly say, well, that's a great thing to hear, you know, that Sterling had to reinvent itself. But on the street, that could be a little bit challenging. How did a seasoned, you know, reasonably seasoned church, when called to step up, how did that go? Did, you know, did it go smoothly? Were there some challenges? And what have you seen now that you're, you know, a year past that time where they had to step up? How, how has that, has that enlivened Sterling? And if so, or if not, you know, what, what's the dynamic been like now that the, the Manassas church has kind of been gone a while? Well, it's still scary. 
we're, we're still reinventing or rediscovering uh, who God has for us to be right now. Uh, coincidentally, or providentially, uh, we had a couple of very core families uh, move out of the area. They, you know, physically moved to other states. And, and so, you know, on the one hand, yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's a little frightening. On the other hand, every time I look at the financials, the Lord is sustaining. And this is kind of, I believe, what we're called to be as the church. I think a healthy church plants churches. You've got that organic growth and the growing organism and and all of those things. So, yeah, it's scary when you prune it way back to the vine, but then you see over time, uh, Lord willing, <laughs> I don't know, you may be interviewing me a year from now and I'll be singing a different song, but uh, <laughs> you see the Lord bring the new growth. And Phil, one more follow-up with you before, before I go to John Paul. What has it done for you as a pastor who was 10 years or eight, I forget the number, eight or 10 years in and, you know, kind of cranking along at Sterling and now all this happens and there's a shakeup for you personally as a minister. I'm wondering what that was like. Was it invigorating? Was it scary? Was it all of the above? And, and what has it done for your pulpit ministry and your, you know, kind of fellowship and outreach and discipleship? How has it, how's it impacted you? So... I have a saying, which is, once you stop having adventures, you get old and die. And it is definitely an adventure. It is a bungee jump. Uh, it It is scary because, you know, this whole thing could, the Lord could be pleased not to rebuild it. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Uh, but... I, I just firmly believe this is what God calls us to do as Christians is to take the gospel to the uttermost ends of the earth. And as passionate as I am to see the gospel in Samaria, uh, I'm also passionate to see it in Jerusalem and Judea. And uh, I, I do think that we have something to offer a culture that is broken and hurting and wandering like sheep without a shepherd. And when we come in with compassion, uh, when we try to point lovingly and clearly to God's word and to Christ who makes us alive to that word and his spirit enables us to walk more and more in that word, I think it's a beautiful message. And I think it's if, if God does not turn Sterling, you know, back into a bunch of more people and, and continue to bring a lot more people, uh, I would be surprised because I just think that message is so beautiful and attractive. So, John Paul, let me, let me follow on the heels of, of those uh, thoughts from Phil. Um, when you think about being sent out from a mother church with that, you know, kind of support, I mean, I think it again, I'm not the best on trends, but I suspect going out with two deacons probably isn't the norm uh, of church planters. So you kind of get this more local dynamic support. What What is that like in starting the church plant? You know, I'm thinking about listeners who are contemplating church planting and sessions that are thinking about it and thinking about, you know, should this be a presbytery plant? And I know, I know you don't have experience that you can compare the two. I get that. But I'm just wondering your sense of the mother church sending you out and having that local connection 
uh, and how that has impacted the early days of um, the work in Manassas? Uh, yeah, I think uh, one thing I think to keep in mind uh, is that I think every church planting group is is different. People are different and they have different gifts. So I think if, if you're thinking about church planting with a group of people, uh, it's it's helpful to know who they are and kind of what what is in their DNA. What are they good at? What And uh, in the Lord's providence, a lot of these people that we started with uh, had. They've, they've been in uh, church plants for long periods of times that did not do well in, in other denominations. Uh, and so they knew what it was like to be in, in a church plant. They knew uh, that it was go- it was going to be hard, that there were going to be discomforts. You know, we, we've had lots of hiccups along the way. We uh, meet in a movie theater one time. Uh, advertisements came on the screen uh, while I was preaching in the sermon. And so the deacons had to jump up and go and get them to to turn those off uh so that you know it was a distraction but but we had uh it was it was helpful to have a group of people who who knew that this was going to be hard and that it was going to take work and we were going to have to uh work at it and they they showed up and did so you know the deacons have worked hard at helping to 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 get people starting to to uh set up i'm uh, my family is still very involved in in the setup it's taken about a, a year uh, but we now, after about a year, are finally getting other families who are starting to show up for setup and who are um, taking up that that mantle of responsibility. Uh, so it, uh, I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of that is because we did have deacons who were from the beginning thinking, how do we help the pastor? How do we uh, get the church to be involved um, and and serve with their gifts? They've already uh, those deacons have already sent out. Uh, a survey of giftings for people in the church uh, saying, you know, here, here are needs that we have. What ways we, uh, might you be able to serve? We want you to serve. Um, so I think certainly having, having that diaconal focus has really helped. You know, these, the two deacons we have are, are maybe the best deacons I've ever seen. They're, they're very committed uh, uh, to serving the Lord and they, they serve him very well. So John Paul, what is the session set up like? Are you, do you have, a borrowed session, do you go back to the session at Stern? Like, what's the dynamic for your current session setup? Uh, yeah, so since we were, un, uh, we were unable to have an elder starting out, uh, one of the things I did ask for from the session, uh, we just have uh, one session meeting. It's still the Sterling session. is That's the session that I'm on. So I asked the elders if they would be willing to, to come out and visit. Uh, we have four elders on the session. And so they come out, uh, each of them uh, takes one Sunday a month. And so I, we have elders who are there at the church caring for people uh, on a week to week basis. Although I think that's, that's probably the best thing model I've ever seen of a church plant. I, I actually grew up in a church plant in, in the OPC uh, and we had visiting elders that maybe visited once every, maybe once a month or every few months, uh, but they were not there frequently. Um, you know, so they these elders have been very involved, but uh, there's only there's only so much you can do if you're not there every every week in terms of boots on the ground. There have been some kind of funny uh, things where you know they've assumed uh, one family might visit uh, you know once a month or or something some visitors that we're having, and it it so happened that it happened on the first of the month. So one elder assumed this family was really attending our church 
uh, whereas they were just kind of coming, you know, once a month, kind of checking us out a little bit. And they were, he was surprised when I didn't know them as well as he thought that I should, because, you know, they, I'd only talked to them a, a few times. Uh, so there are some discontinuities like that, but at the same time, um, the session has really cared, cared for me well. And, and I it has really been invested in this church, uh, uh, becoming established as well as their own church, which is, has been a lot of work. So if I could shift topics a little bit, you both are talking about, you know, this evangelistic outreach oriented from day one in Sterling, from day one in Manassas. My question won't be surprising to people who listen to the podcast. Could you each talk about how that dynamic of wanting to be outreach oriented affects your preaching? How do you think about your preaching? What shapes your preaching? How do you feed the reformed and keep the reformed reality of of the deep theology, but also connect with people coming in off the street, in particular for both of you in a in a large metro area that you both have described in certain ways, you know, not not geared toward being in people's homes and this type of thing. How how do you think about and work out your preaching in a way that you think feeds the reformed and develops and emphasizes reformed theology and also engages people who have no idea what that means? I'll start with you, Phil. So I think um, at the outset, one of the things that uh, I have been persuaded of for years, and we have just recently implemented at Sterling, is weekly Lord's Supper. And one of the uh, ways that I find that helpful is it forces me to take every single sermon naturally to the gospel and and you know as a transition into the the gospel so my my focus is sharpened in the sense that each sermon i need to be pressing upon people the the glory of christ the beauty of christ the majesty of christ the kingship of christ the attractiveness of christ come to christ and you know, if, if someone, my, my prayer is, and my experience has been, that people have come from outside and they've been very clearly confronted with the gospel. So that's good, but that's really a side benefit. It's the very Reformed people, uh, and certainly the children of the Reformed people, that need to be immersed in the gospel regularly and over and over again. And so I find that that I don't there, there's not a dichotomy there's not a stretch now someone coming in from you know a less uh, hate to say it but intellectual background um, yeah they're going to hear my preaching and they're going to realize I'm I'm you know dealing with some some meaty things in this text. Um, and I, my job is to make that as accessible as I can, uh, to make that as engaging as I can. Uh, but I don't think there's really a reformed preaching goes over the heads of normal people. I, I don't think that's a healthy dynamic. I don't think that's healthy preaching. Same question for you, John Paul, thinking about preaching, especially for you in the early days of a young church and you know meeting people who are 
as you said, kind of career focused and, and not as, you know, maybe family focused or culturally, you know, that type of dynamic. How do you kind of work that out in your early days of pulpit ministry? Uh, yeah, I think um, a couple things that I've, I've learned and picked up from other pastors of things that I, I saw them do in their preaching that I wanted to do in mine. I think that there's that uh, saying that preaching is, is better caught than taught. Uh, and so these are a few a few things that I uh, have implemented. Uh, one is uh, remembering that there are children in our churches, covenant children, and that we are preaching to them as well. Uh, and so you need to be explaining high end theology and and difficult uh, you know difficult concepts in a way that they can understand and that is engaging to them. So you know I, I will. I will try to at least I, I work at trying to at least have one question for kids or one uh, so, something that I will explain to children. Uh, I'm preaching in, in the Gospel of John now. So I asked uh, the kids, you know, what you know, what baptism means uh, and explained it means to wash with water, you know, basic, simple things. But a lot of times uh, the funny thing about asking questions like that is uh, when you if you ask questions and expect responses, uh, from kids, uh, one, it, it helps the kids be engaged so that they're not, they're already struggling to sit still and uh, they have something that they can respond to. Uh, but often you'll all find uh, adults answering those questions as well. <laughs> so um, that's something that I've tried to do. Uh, another thing that I try to do is uh, be, of course, focused on the gospel and remember uh, that there are, are people who are not Christians in, in the service. Um, or maybe even maybe people that I think are believers, uh, uh, they may not really be. Uh, and so I, I, I try to remember that I'm, I'm and preach in such a way that I'm preaching to um, uh, souls uh, that need to be saved. They need Christ and need to turn to him. Uh, and I also uh, try to preach in such a way that uh, people would be comfortable bringing unbelievers to, to church. Uh, so I sometimes I'll say something like, if you're not a Christian and you're here today, we're glad you're here and thinking about these things. And we'd love to talk to you more about them. But I, I'm trying to communicate to people that, you know, it's, it's all right if you come and you, you have not believed these things and you're just you're thinking about them. And we've we have had uh, uh, people bring uh, non-Christians who, who were just exploring the faith or just kind of interested in what do Christians believe? What is a Christian worship service? And, you know, they, they came. Uh, and I, but I think trying to do some of those kinds of things, uh, rather than just assuming uh, everyone is, is a staunch Reformed Presbyterian uh, and know, knows all the ins and outs of theology, uh, because uh, often uh, there are people who do not. Phil, thinking about Ascending uh, Church, who's been a little bit more seasoned. Are there any, I'm thinking about listeners who could be elders or pastors or congregants whose church is thinking about this, thinking about a mother-daughter church plant. I wonder if anything hits you, is there a challenge that a mother, that, that a mother church faces or that you faced as a mother church that you weren't expecting? And is there a blessing that you saw in doing this that you weren't maybe expecting? Yeah, both the challenge and the blessing uh, are two sides of the same coin. The, the challenge is 
we really had developed this exciting congregation that was eager for outreach and service and everybody was all in and it makes the people that are naturally more sideline oriented, uh, makes them want to get in on the excitement and get in on the fun. And then all of a sudden we send all of our uh, kind of seasoned, mature, it, I, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way, uh, because I'm very thankful for the congregation I have at, at Sterling. But but there is a there's a different dynamic. Uh, and, and that's a challenge that I don't think I was really prepared for. The blessing of that, though, is it forces me and it forces the session and everybody else in the congregation uh, to, to say, okay, what are the basics? Uh, what, what are the things that uh, we need to be doing? We need to be doing right and tapping people on the shoulder and and really getting back to the same kind of uh, hungry dynamic that we had when we were 30, 40, 50 people. John Paul, maybe a similar but different question being in the, in the young uh, church that was sent. If you were, had a, you know, a minute to tell congregants, people who were thinking about maybe being part of a core group, but they weren't sure. Like they, they kind of liked the, the appeal, but they were, you know, maybe just be easier to stay at the mother church. You've kind of watched your core group leave its, you know, existing church and come with you based on kind of what you've seen and how you've seen things develop. How would you encourage people who may be thinking, yeah, I'd kind of like to do that, but I don't know. It sounds a bit scary. How would you encourage them to take that step in faith and go with the young church, even though it's going to kind of be, a little more chaotic for a while and a little more on the fly for a while? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it, it comes down to, uh, you know, what, what are your goals for your Christian life and what does God call you to do in your Christian life? You know, it, it may be that you're not called to go and be part of, part of a church plant. But I think if, uh, if there, uh, I, I think part of the, this model is kind of a, a parish model. Uh, and I think it's, it's always better in terms of reaching the lost and building community if you're you're doing it near where you are or nearer to where you are. Uh, so I think if you are n- nearer to a, a church plant uh, or, or thinking about being part of this church plant, simply being committed to the work and and uh, showing up on Sunday and worshiping the Lord and being an encouragement to others uh, that that. Um, is a huge blessing to that that church plant and to that work, uh, and I I think very worth doing if that is part of what we are called to do in in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and you know re- reaching unbelievers uh, at home uh, where we live. Uh, God uh, is sovereign, uh, and He has put each of us uh, where we are sovereignly. Uh, he has uh, given us the neighbors that we have, the coworkers that we have, and the churches that we have, and it. If uh, the Lord gives you an opportunity to be a part of the ch- uh, church plant, uh, though it, it may be hard and there, there are struggles there, uh, I, it's, it's very exciting. And the blessings that are there in terms of uh, seeing what the Lord is doing and establishing a new church are just it's uh, I would say that 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 is infectious. Uh, one of the things that has been very uh, surprising to me is is the way in which the Lord has blessed this church plant. Um, 
I've been a part of church plants that it did not please the Lord in his providence to bless. You know, it, it, it was probably my weak faith of I expected the same. The same. Um, and uh, in the Lord's providence, uh, he has greatly blessed our church. People are coming. They're excited. They're excited about the gospel. Uh, and um, that's something that's that's worth committing to and, and working toward. Well, this has been great, guys. We thank you for your time and, and talking about these things. And I, I think people uh, both in church plants, thinking about church plants, or just living their Christian life will be appreciative of hearing about these two works and the mother-daughter relationship. So we're thankful for you being here, and thanks for taking the time today. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you will receive notifications when new things are available. Until then, we'll see you next episode.